Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, Angelo, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure having you on, man. We're going to have a great conversation focusing on the marketing and branding side of things. You ready? I'm ready. Fire away. Fire away. That's what I'm talking about. Ready to go because you know what I'm going to ask. But first one is, who is Angelo Ponzi? Well, from a business standpoint, I am a fractional chief marketing officer and I work with companies on the strategic level. So really understanding the marketplace, the competition, you know, the nuances of the business side of marketing to help develop strategies and tactics to help drive business growth. But I believe in you have to understand the first part, who's your customer, how do you talk to them, what's relevant to them before you can actually implement tactical strategies, if you will. Otherwise, you're just throwing stuff up against the wall and you're hoping it works. Absolutely. Super important to understand the target market before you start trying to put everything together or else you're going to fall on deaf ears, right? Yeah. You know, it, in the companies that I work with, it's it's so interesting. A lot of times I'll get in there and it's all about, hey, we need more emails. We need more you know, our website needs to be fixed. And it's like, well, but who are we talking to? What are we saying? You've got 10 segments, you're using the same messaging to all 10, and it can't be relevant to everybody. So surprisingly, even companies that have been around a really long time, you know, which is great for me, it keeps me in business. But, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, I just find it really interesting that, you know, I was that saying, High tide rises all boats. So when things are great, nobody thinks about this. And then, of course, when it gets bad, they start wondering, you know, why isn't it working anymore? Absolutely. How did you get into this type of this line of work, man? So in my career, I've been advertising agency side of the business. Spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there. I actually started my own at one point in time. I grew it, had the opportunity to sell it. I've also been on the client side. So I've sat in the everything from advertising manager up to chief strategy officer on the client side of the business. And this actually, I started this business in 2014, but it wasn't my first business. My first business Mm -hmm. actually, which failed in eight months, was a film company, a film production company when I was like 22 Uh years old. And I'd been working at an ad agency, working with a production guy. He convinced me at 23, we could do this. We could start a business. We could bring Hollywood to Orange County, California, and oh, by the way, I need your money. And he had all the contacts, but I learned very quickly that his contacts were all production contacts, not actually mm. business contacts. So we took off first few months. Man, I was making money. I didn't know what to do with it. By eight months later, you know, we were shutting the doors and that. But what a lesson. It was a great investment to learn what not to do. And just because you, you know, the old field of dreams, right? Just because you built it doesn't mean they're coming. And so we failed. Uh, Failed quite spectacularly. But then a few years later, you know, I started another one. And that one is the one that ended up growing over the next 13 years that I got to sell. Plus, at the same time, I actually started a a research firm. And so part of my background is research. And that's, I think, one of the unique differentiators that I have, whether it's qual or quant or secondary, is to be able to analyze the data because that's my thing, right? I got to understand the market. And I had this opportunity. I worked with a company called Pacific Sunwear. You probably know them, big retail, clothing retailer. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, PacSun. Yeah, PacSun, right? So PacSun, I did all the yeah. research for like nine years. 
as a consultant. And I travel around the country, but behind the scenes were, you know, Bob Hurley and McKnight of Quicksilver and all these, you know, giants at the time. And they're all going, man, we wish there was information in this industry like we're learning today. And I went, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm a smart marketing guy. So I started a, a research firm in the action sports industry and I got to grow it over th the same period. I was doing the agency about 13 years, became de facto standard. I mean, I got to work with Nike and all these different companies. And Goldman Sachs used to meet us once a quarter to look at our data because they wanted to do acquisitions and all this. And it was cool. And I've been telling this story. I'm not even sure I should. But at the end of the day, I was named in a book called Explanation as one of the game changers in the action sports industry. However, I had never surfed, skated, or snowboarded in my life. But that was the power, and that is the power of data. Absolutely. Well, if, I mean, if you think about it, there are some great coaches who have never played the sport. The key is you get to see it from a different point. That actually kind of can give you a leg up because you're analyzing from a different dynamic, different perspective. Instead of that player perspective, or so to speak, you're analyzing from the extrinsic view. So you're seeing things that they would not see. So that's probably where you identify like that research and you're like, okay, this is the things that I know people would want to know just from a general standpoint, right? And then you applied it. That's pretty much what a consultant does, right? You don't necessarily need to know the industry. You just need to know that there's some transferable things that can be applied to that industry. Well said. That is exactly right. You know, I get questioned, well, do you have a client in the HVAC, big commercial stuff? And when I first met him, they said, you know, do you have experience in this industry? And I said, yeah, I turned my air conditioning on and off at home. And they laughed. I said, but I don't need to understand. I'm going to learn. More importantly, I'm going to get data, that information that you won't know. And they go, oh, of course, mm -hmm. we've been in the business 70 some odd years. We know everything. Well, at the end of the day, they were surprised to learn a lot of stuff that they had no idea from their customer perspective. All their customers loved them. And this is an interesting story. So all their customers loved them. Again, power of data and marketing, right? That ultimately is about branding as well. But one of the things we found out is that their customers, their clients, which were primarily mechanical engineers, were aging. They're getting ready to retire or frankly die off. And there was a whole new group of young engineers. And when I said, you know, these guys are going to retire or die, and those new engineers have no idea who you are. They go, oh, well, they'll just go ask the old guys. I go, yeah, but the old guys are leaving. And their thinking is different. They're more concerned about the environmental issues and, you know, bringing on products that, you know, are not using gas and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you have no products like that. So you might have been around for, you know, whatever, 70 years, but you might not be around for another 10 if you don't change your thinking. And so that was one of the big revelations that came out of just talking to customers. And so anyway. I have this tendency to tell a lot of stories, so you can stop me at any time. I love them because this is the application side of things, right? We hear about the strategic side, but the tactical side is what we don't hear much of. Why is it important to start looking ahead? And why does a, a marketing firm or a marketing strategist or things like that, why are they important? Why can't I do it on my own? And a lot of times it's because the person we're helping is an expert at their field, right? They're a tactician. They know that. But the outside, the external skill sets that are faulty. Why, when you said it beautifully yourself about being a consultant, I don't need to be the expert because you're the expert. 
you need somebody from the external perspective to see the gap that you can't see or you don't know about. So I think it's great that you're using some applicable things so the designers listening can really put that into their business to understand, okay, marketing isn't just, you know, running some ads and hope it will come or marketing is, you know, me making a pretty logo and all that other stuff. I think those are some of the common misconceptions that we have about branding and marketing. What's some others you could think of, Angela? Well, I think, well, first of all, your logo is not your, your brand. And I hear that all the time. I need some branding. I need a new logo. I go, well, wait a minute. We just, let's step away, <laughs> right? Because there's right. multiple facets that make up your brand, whether it's your brand personality. And I equate that to the human person, us as humans. What's mm -hmm. our personality, especially with small companies and founders? Ultimately, the brand tends to take on a little bit of their personality. And so, you know, what is that? Is it outgoing? Is it friendly? And that also translates into tone of voice. Right? How do you want to speak to your customers? Do you want to be authoritative and dictative, or do you want to be friendly and a little jovial or poke a little fun? I tend to actually be very conversational in my brand where I'll actually, and I'm criticized by my partner sometimes about, you know, you can't say that. And I go, yeah, but it's fun because I, it's a lot of tongue in cheek to me to try to drive home a point. But it's about personality, you know, and then from the brand standpoint. So, what's the personality of the brand? And then it's about positioning. How do you want to be positioned in the marketplace? You've seen pictures, right? A lot of green apples, one red apple, you know, a lot of pencils, one colored pencil, those kinds of things. It is about how you want to differentiate. And the points of differentiate are really interesting. A lot of people, and I'll say people, companies that I've dealt with, I, I do this process called VRIL, which is what's valuable, what's rare, what's difficult to imitate. And then the O is operational excellence, and that's about adoptability within the organization. But when I say, what's value? What's a value that you do to your customers that we can use to differentiate your brand? Oh, we got great people. As a matter of fact, if you got better people than me, I'm going to steal your people. Why? Because <laughs> right. it's not rare and it's easy to imitate. So really, when you think about it, even from a technology standpoint, it's a little easier, but to drive and really make companies in your audience to really drill down to what makes you differentiate from everybody else that's in your space, right? I go to these meetings and it's a big networking group and I've been in it three years. And still this day, I go to a meeting and by the time it gets to me, I've heard the words branding, marketing, digital marketing, you know, LinkedIn experts and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, none of these people are really differentiating themselves from everybody else. I think I have. I think I've done a good job and I've told I've done a good job in doing that. Or my, of course, my favorite is, you know, Angelo, I do the same thing he does. In my mind, I'm going, well, then just use me. Why hire him if he does what I do, right? And so that point of differentiation is really difficult to find because it's a little more tangible because, again, is it easy to replicate? If a client says, I've got a 100,000 square foot you know, manufacturing facility. And my competitors have a 50. Well, wait a minute, that's valuable. So I'll call it rare at this point in time. And it's difficult to imitate because you got to go out and spend a lot of money to build your facilities or whether it's technology or whether it's expanding globally or moving, you know, warehousing space in the middle of the country to make your shipping of your products easier, whatever that happens to be. So differentiation is really important. And from a designer standpoint or from a marketing standpoint, you know, we're not dealing with 
warehousing or any of that kind of stuff. So the question is, what can we do to differentiate who we are, whether it's styles or you know the way we approach things or a process? I have a lot of processes that I use that I know a lot of my competitors don't. Ironically, I actually, some of my competitors, I'm a white label for them behind the scenes, which is oh, always awesome. interesting. And so those become essence of your brand. Ultimately, you get down to the identity, which now we get into the logo and the colors and you know all that kind of stuff. So the branding from your standpoint of creating what your brand is going to stand for is important. And then, of course, how do you take all that same information and translate that when you're working with clients? Absolutely. And thanks for that, because that was going to be one of the questions, you know, what is branding? You just stated it beautifully. On your site, one of the first lines under problems, like problems that customers had, you mentioned you wouldn't build a house or office complex without a blueprint to follow. So what's the blueprint to building a solid brand? So that's great. You picked up on that because that's kind of my point of differentiation, right? I don't call them marketing plans. I call them blueprints. Because ultimately, I need to understand. So, I mean, let's put it in that perspective. If I was going to build your house, I wouldn't just show up one day with a bunch of blueprints and say, here it is. Or I wouldn't show up on the day that you think I'm coming to discuss your project with wood, a crew, (laughs) you know, hammers and nails, because I don't know what I'm building. right? Right. So, if you just put it in that perspective, the blueprint is understanding what's important to the market, what's important to the customer. What do they want to accomplish? You know, do you want 10 rooms? You want two rooms? You want a bathroom on, in every bedroom? You know, if so, equate. What are you trying to accomplish with your, ultimately with your marketing plan? It's, I go out, customer says, I want to grow my business from 10 million to 50 million in five years. Okay, great. So let's work backwards and figure out how we're going to get there because it isn't going to happen in year one. So what are those building blocks? What does the print look like to kind of get that foundation? I call it a lot of foundational work. And that's where I talk to the customers. I want to interview your customers if you have them. I want to dissect your competition. I call it a deconstruction, reconstruction process because if I break them down, I can see how they're marketing. I can see what their messaging is. I can look for what I call antis, right? If you play cards, there's an ante. Kind of, you have to have that. So if everybody's saying the same thing, only can conclude that it might be important to the marketplace. So do I need to say that? Maybe I'll find out a little bit more when I'm doing your customer research. And I'll explain that a little bit easier because I say research, everybody goes, I can't afford that. And so when you start to piece all this back together, you start to get a framework of how I can start to communicate, how I can position my brand slightly different. That all becomes that foundational work in the blueprint. And then ultimately, you know, you've got your objectives, you know where you're going, you know your strategies, you know your messaging for your brand. And that's, I look at overarching message for the brand. And then I look at a lot of sub messaging. So if I'm talking about a company, here's the company. I want to talk specifically about their brand. Maybe it's an elevator pitch. If I want to talk about their customer service, I have a message for that. So these are all these foundational messages that ultimately whoever's executing the plan you know, has that foundation to move from. So that's what I mean by building the blueprint before we get into showing up and, you know, with the hammers in the wood and in the crew to actually build it. I call myself a marketing architect, right? So that's that kind of blueprint stuff. And then I, when I say, you know, I get to the plan, then I say, I become a general contractor and I'm going to work with your team (laughs) or I'm going to bring in teams to execute. And that's kind of the simple analogy that I use. I think that's perfect. So. Speaking of landscapes and housing and all that other stuff, 
The rise of digital and social media, how is that changing the landscape of brand building? Tremendously. I tell my clients and people that I talk to, your website these days is your calling card. It does not communicate and you can't go there and understand what you are selling. Pretty much page one, you're not going to go to page two, right? If people don't want to drill down, they don't want to have to figure out what you're selling. So it's really important that it communicates very quickly. And again, this back to this customer approach, customer centricity versus company. I'm sure you've seen it, right? You go to a site and it's like, we're great. We've been around for a hundred yes. years and we're wonderful. Oh. It's like, okay, what does that do for me? So what? And yeah. <laughs> so what? <laughs> it's exactly right. You know what? I had a client one time tell me, well, we've been in the business. I think it was, I don't make this up, like 50 years. And that's our point of differentiation. I said, but you realize I just did your competitor research and a couple of your competitors have been in the industry a lot longer than you. No, they haven't. I go, yeah, it's on their website. And I'm going to believe what they put on their website, right? So it's what's important. And I call the 50-year thing, for example, I just call it a reason to believe. It's not the reason to differentiate or buy. It's just a reason to believe, hey, you're doing something right. You've been oh, around absolutely. a long time. So when you're communicating on your website, in your social media, whether it's you know paid or organic, or whether you're using paid Google ads or whatever it happens to be, understanding and the formats, you know, so much copy, so much time. So you can't take what you put on your website and put it in a you know a social post or a paid ad. So really fine-tuning what's gonna you know rise to the top and get you seen. So back again, research is gonna help identify what's important. You can translate that into your keywords and your blogs and all your content and utilize that in helping to drive. But absolutely, I haven't purchased a, actually I did, I just purchased a print ad, the National Restaurant Association show this past weekend for one of my clients, we ran in every issue. Last time I purchased a print ad was a year earlier at the same trade show. Well, that goes to knowing that audience, right? Like most audiences aren't checking print. These days, they're all everything's digital, right? They want to access it quickly. So you did your research and found out that that was the proper placement for the ad. Yeah, because they're getting one. They attend the show. So most print properties, they still exist and they're still strong, but have digital properties, newsletters, mm -hmm. websites, things you can do with them. So I always evaluate those and look at that. I'm an integrated marketer, right? There's no silver bullet in marketing. And so if you think about Absolutely. that, it, there's a lot of different ways. And the other thing too, again, doing customer research, I could ask you, how do you consume your information? Now, I would guess you're online, you're looking at videos, you're doing all of that. If I ask the same question to somebody who's maybe 65, they might say, hey, you know, I like case studies and I like, you know, download it, print it out. And so they're not watching videos or they're not going online like we are using our phones. They have a different way of getting information. So I have to know that. Otherwise, if I'm only doing videos, I'm missing a target audience. So that gets back to segmentation. It gets back to the, what you said earlier, understanding your audience. For me, it's about how they consume information. What's that journey? I find it whenever I show a client, especially on the consumer side, and you look at the attribution model, right? How they come in, mm -hmm. how they find you, what, how many times do they come back to the site? They're like amazed that. They only see the end result. They had no idea that took that guy came back or that woman came back 10 times before they ever bought something. And yeah. so, you know, understanding all of that. So again, I'm, 
I harp on the idea of research and understanding your customer because it, it's really important. And I want to make sure I address research very specifically. So to continue to hopefully answer your question, digital is an absolute foundation of everything that I do now. I became an SEO convert last year when I worked with a, a luxury watch company. And, you know, I'm talking, you know, buy a car, buy a watch kind of stuff. And it's a really expensive stuff. So when I met the CEO, he said to me, who do you think my number one customer is? I said, well, it has to probably be somebody in, you know, probably mid fifties or older, has a lot of discretionary dollars, those kinds of things. And he said, nope, my number one customer is Google. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He says, Google. He goes, everything I do is for Google. Because if I do a good job on Google, all those other people you mentioned will find me. Otherwise, they won't. So, that. you know, it took me a heartbeat. I was thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, right, you're crazy. But I tell you what, seven months later, I became a convert. As a matter of fact, I've even gone off the rails and given pre presentations on, I have a whole presentation on Google is your number one customer. Because I believe it wholeheartedly that I have to understand back to how are people searching and looking. Stats right. show that 85%, especially in the B world, will go to the internet to find information first, same on the consumer side, before they ever pick up a phone, before they ever buy, they'll research. Right? How many times you go, I play music, and one of the, I play drums, I play guitar, but I saw this Roland drum set the other day on Facebook, and I go, oh my God, they're selling, they're getting rid of inventory for $39.95. Now I go, wait a minute, I got to go check this out. And, you know, that set sells for like $3,000 on Guitar Center or Sweetwater. So I go, okay, this is wrong. So what did I do? I went in, I started hitting, is this a scam? Is this reviews, right? And that's what we do now because we carry the power, you know, I'm holding up my phone, if you can see it, the power <laughs> of a massive computer on our phones. And so if I'm not catering to that person, I'm sure you've seen it, right? Somebody's got a great desktop website and they go to the mobile it's trash yes yeah absolutely no that, that was you definitely answered the question because the internet is our referral system right it's our referral network so if you're not presenting properly on there whether it's your google or your youtubes or your tiktoks your facebooks and that's another key know which platform your people are on yeah, exactly right? you also have to know that when you're talking about doing that that research so if you're not presenting properly on that why would they work with you right no matter what industry you're adding friction to them working with you by not being presented properly. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for going in depth on that, Angelo. But how do you measure success? Like we mentioned, like seven months later, you became a convert and you do a presentation. Like what do you use to measure success when you on your brand building strategies? Sure. So every client is different. So ultimately it's knowing, you know, whether we're looking for conversions, you know, what are the KPIs that we measure against? I mean, from simply seeing you know, your number of visitors, right, or, or your number of converts, or I want to drive people. One of my clients makes a compostable, biodegradable straws, right? So make it out of plant-based materials. We're very conscious about the environment, and you know, we're helping to eliminate single-use plastics and all of that. So one of the things I look at is how am I getting people there? Are the ways that I'm marketing getting people to my site? Are we converting so I track? every conversion. I can look at the attribution. I can see where, how they're getting in. I can see what pages they're going to. So I have a page. It's an article actually, but a page talks about bioplastics. For the last two years, that has been like my number one blog that they go to. 
So I can take that knowledge and I can write more. I can focus more. I can create materials about it. And so I know I want to keep driving people there. So if I see a drop in that, then I know that maybe I'm getting off key. You know, I look at where I rank in Google. My goal is being the, you know, the top three for sure. And if I see that I am, and then I see that I'm not, I got to figure out why. So I'm constantly looking at tools to evaluate, you know, how's my SEO doing? Do I have any broken links? Or my, where are my backlinks? Are they follow links? Are they no follow links? And so I do a lot of analysis mm -hmm. to make sure that we're continuing to serve the market in sense, what are they looking for in this particular case? We have a paid ad program going on and we had a conversion from doing it internally to an external firm. And of course, in the first three months, our things have dropped. I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm gonna get hammered on this one. But at the end of the day, by analyzing it, we found a few things that we made tweaks and we were able to turn that right away. So based on the KPIs, it really is whether it's management in a sense, if you're looking, talking to a company, what are those things that they're trying to achieve that can prove that you're doing well? I have another client where, you know, we're literally measuring from quarter to quarter, from month to month, you know, certain measurements on the site because they sell a service. And sometimes it takes a year for the service to actually, you know, go through the process of being sold because it's pretty big deal, costs a lot of money. So I have different measurements for them because I can't measure sales because I can measure how we get into the funnel. I can measure the people we're bringing to the table and how many are converting to opportunities that end up in the pipeline versus those that are being rejected. If they're being rejected, why do we do a bad job in sourcing those leads or, you know, the way we were communicating? So, you know, we're playing a lot in this particular case at the top of the funnel. Other cases we're dealing with, I got them in the funnel, but we're not, you know, we're losing them in the process. There's a chart that I use for, especially in the B2B world, talks about how many touches it takes to actually get to a conversion. And it's right in that chart. It's probably a few years old, but probably still relevant. It's about seven to 12 touches. Yeah, so I'm that still hearing that as well. You know, seven yeah, or 12 emails, right? It means all sorts of communications. I remember earlier on, before I even knew this chart was there, you know, after four conversations or four attempts, I'd go, ah, they're not interested, goodbye. Well, then I saw this chart and was like, man, I'm bailing out at four. I need to be at least until seven because at that point in time, most of my competitors have dropped out and there's where my opportunities happen. Absolutely. So understanding how do you gauge that? How do you measure that, that the people that are maybe in this Again, with this particular client, they have a you know inside sales group. You know, I call them smile and dial, right? So are they doing, are they performing? How many calls are they making? And how does that, and so we can measure all that information, knowing if they back up on the calls, we lose opportunities. They increase their calls, getting better input going in. Like we, in this case, the marketing department starts with the mining of the leads. And we just made some tweaks in the target audience and the revenue volume of this company these companies that we target, and we saw a significant change. And so again, with marketing, it's not a set it and forget it, especially with the digital world. It's every day you've got to be on it because things change so rapidly. Yeah. Business moves at the speed of business, right? Nothing else <laughs> matches it. So, yeah. yeah and, and I love that you're highlighting the importance of data, right? So many people just want to put things out there and they're wondering why a product or service falls in deaf ears or why they're rebrand or any of that goes wrong. It's because they don't have that data. And that is so critical that you're mentioning a lot of things that I'm sure a lot of designers are like, what? I've never even heard of that. Or 
how do I find that information? So thank you for going in depth on that. But also, I know some designers are listening and they're like, dear customer, we've been around 50, 7,500 years. So how do you manage the consistency in a brand's identity with the need for evolution over time? But talk about culture, a culture within an organization. It starts at the top and not bottom up. So if the consistency is about leadership and making sure that your brand, your personalities and things you want to communicate about who you are and the kind of work that you do, mm-hmm. that's going to be driven down. And the reason I say that, because when new people come in to the company, have their own ideas and want to do things differently and those that can take you off brand. And so that kind of setting the guidelines, whether it's onboarding or obviously you don't want to stifle creativity, right? But there's a framework in making sure that people understand the brand, which is a huge mistake. I'm going to say broadly, most companies make is they don't get the employees and people that work for them to understand what the brand is about. They don't take the time. You know, I like to say, I walk out the door at night and somebody says, hey, what do you do? And I go, I I work for so-and-so. I'm their accountant. Okay. So what do they do? I don't know. I'm their accountant. And so if everybody walks out the door and has a very consistent idea of what the brand does, and not only what the brand does, but this is, I think is key, your contribution that you make to the brand, right? So it's not about I manage the money or I manage the inventory or, you know, I'm a UX designer or, you know, I design websites, whatever it happens to be. It's your contribution to that helps, you know, your clients succeed, right? So a lot of times people say, what do you do? Are you in marketing? I said, no, I'm in the business of helping companies reach their dreams and goals. They go, well, explain that. I hooked you in, have a little conversation, and I can talk to that. So I think at the end of the day, whether you're, you know, one person, 10 people, 100 people, You know, it's that consistency, but it's always driven at the top. As soon as the top takes their eye off it and hands the keys over to the, you know, the crazies in there, everything can get off brand. And so like when I had my agency and when we sold our agency, now we're owned by a a huge corporation, huge billion dollar advertising agency. But we had our own positioning, our own style and our own way of doing things. And they let us do that. And that's the reason why they bought us. And we were very consistent in our approach, the way we got to creative executions, the type of work that we did. We never, you know, just did stuff because, you know, to get it out the door, or we wanted a quick buck. Everything held to these quality standards that we just never let go. And so every piece of work had to go through, you know, the creative directors. And then ultimately, even the account team had to take approve of it. Because we wanted to make sure that we were putting out the work that held the agency in the highest standard. And so never, you know, again, I think I've answered this, hopefully I have, but it's really important that again, leadership ensures that the people underneath are executing. And again, understanding what the essence of the brand is, is so important. And again, in their contribution. Absolutely. It just reminds me of something I always talk about is that leadership through storytelling. Everything is storytelling. Your brand is storytelling, right? You're hitting on that when you're saying they need to feel like their work is meaningful. They need to feel like they're not just going to work for a check. They're doing something. They're contributing to something that matters. So, and that really starts with 
telling that story, understanding the missions, the values of the organization. Um, and so they can embody that and they're becoming ambassadors. And I think that's a, a key that a lot of companies miss leveraging their employees and their customers as ambassadors of that brand to evangelize, to get it out there. I think that's one of the marketing misses. A lot of people look at marketing dollars and ROI. That's one of your greatest ROI. So you want to make sure that you're conveying those messages to your customers and your employees, to your people, and not forgetting about that aspect, With especially with the advent of all this tech stuff that's coming up. We still need that empathetic and that human component. So thank you for hitting Yeah, that. spot on. You're absolutely right. And you know, take a little bit away from the rational side of it, right? And to kind of expound on what you're saying, it's the emotional connection. Now you're Mm -hmm. making an emotional connection within your organization, but the work that you're doing should be making an emotional connection with your customers and their customers. Because ultimately, if we have an emotional connection, it's very difficult, it's more difficult to break that than if all we're doing is a transaction. That's rational, right? 100%. And then on the on the opposite side, I know we covered, you know, talking about someone who is well established and they have to kind of keep that brand identity as they evolve. What about the other side? What about the new startup or the new entrepreneur who's looking to build their brand? Do you have any tips for them? Yeah. Don't fall in love with what you're doing. And the reason I say that is because I've been a mentor at one of the universities here in startup programs. And I'll go into these meetings and you know, they're pitching me on the, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then I start to punch holes in it and I can see them, you know, get deflated or frankly, get angry that I didn't love it as much as they loved it. And so you have to, like anything, divorce yourself to get kind of that rational side of it or the emotional side and get a little more rational in this particular case. And this, everything we just talked about, is there a need in the market? Is somebody else in the market? Is somebody else already producing this product? And so just stepping back and being a little bit more real, you know, is there, is there an addressable market? Which is a lot of companies don't get that far, right? So you look at, you know, total addressable market, your serviceable addressable market. And if the market's a billion dollars, I love these pitches, right? This market's a billion dollars and all we need is 10%. It's like, hey, number one, you're never going to get 10%. But That's that being unrealistic part. And then don't ask your brothers and sisters and your cousins and your aunts and uncles if you think, if they think it's a good idea, because they will tell you yes. And the reality is it may not be. I worked with a company that had a startup and it was a shoe company where you could buy rent shoes online, wear them, and then send them back. And then they would, you know, donate them to a charity. And they literally told me, yeah, my, everybody thinks it's a great idea when I asked them if they did any research. You know, I cautioned them. I said, I think you need to do some more formal research to really see because I don't know. And my wife does not buy shoes. I don't know any women that buys a whole lot of shoes on the internet. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they return a lot because that, you know, shoes are a little more personal. And so I cautioned them a lot of stuff. They actually ended up going and investing all their money in a, a luxury PR firm out of New York, and they were out of business before they got in business. And but yeah. they were so in love with the idea that they just couldn't see through it. And so I think for startup companies, it's understanding where the opportunities are, understanding how you're going to start and grow. A lot of times we'll look at how do I launch, right? I'm going to launch in this very particular, you know, Southern California, for example, as a test market. 
you know, that's good market. We know the people are there. We've done our research. Let's see what happens. Is it an online program? Do I have to get shelf space somewhere? How difficult? When I worked in the action sports industry, I mean, every time I'd go to a trade show, there'd be hundreds of new brands all trying to get into the retail distribution. And it was difficult because the brands would say, I, you have no brand. You have no awareness in the marketplace. People don't know who you are. Your stuff looks like everybody else's. And actually, I had a practical experience. One of my sons wanted to get into that industry, and we tried for him. Even with my connections, it was still very difficult to get his brand wow. off the ground, which ultimately did not. But he had other issues going on with it. But so, right. but it's really taking the time and understanding all those nuances. I had a client a couple of years ago that they made this tax software. Basically, they could manage all these tax notices enterprise business and they converted it to a SaaS product brilliant product i mean it was brilliant it has taken them three years with the SaaS model to actually get going and i saw their pitches i knew all that but it was a different kind of sell in a different audience than they were used to selling to right so all those things have to be analyzed and building your you know your business plan and your strategy plan so like i'm saying don't fall in love with it you can love it, but don't fall in love with it where you're blind and making sure that you've checked all the boxes in order to be successful. Right. You and I have both pivoted. So we know exactly what it is to not fall in love and have to shift based on what the market wants and needs. And then that, that also brings me to the point of doing like a squat, you know, not focusing on the strengths and the opportunities so much, but more so on those weaknesses and threats, because that's where a lot of people don't put that much time. I don't really see that many weaknesses. I'm top dog. I'm so different, this and that stuff. So I really want the audience to do a SWOT analysis and and just see, like, what are the true weaknesses and the true threats? And really do that research that we've been talking about this whole time, because that's where a lot of people fail. They fall in love. They don't want to call their baby ugly, right? They just want to see the pretty side of it. So that's really key. I'm glad you mentioned that, Angelo. Yeah. And I love the fact you brought up a SWOT analysis. It's not a difficult process. But it becomes mm-hmm. difficult if they're just throwing stuff in there. And I had a client that I work, I actually sit on their board. And a couple of years ago, they said, yeah, we just finished our SWOT analysis. We're in a board meeting. Would you like to see it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I looked at it. You know, some of the stuff was made sense to me. Some of it didn't make sense. And I said, have you been doing this all along? They go, oh, yeah, we've done it for the last five years. I said, can I see those? And so they brought them all out. I swear. They were almost identical. <laughs> So in my mind, it's like, you've been doing this for five years, but you're not doing anything, which I want to to make the point about what you said. Don't just put it on a piece of paper. If there are threats in your industry or there are weaknesses that you can turn into, you know, opportunities or strengths, you need to act, not just put it on a piece of paper and say, I did a SWAT, right? There's a a stat that I use that I couldn't even tell you who I'm quoting, but it was like 92%, it's probably Harvard Business Review or something, 92% of all strategies fail because of poor implementation. And that's probably being generous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's probably being generous. (laughs) I know we see it all the time. People like, yeah, I want to do that. And then nothing ever is implemented, for sure. That's a key stat, though. I love that. So we're going to take some time to, to shift here to our by design segment where I ask every guest, the same three questions. You ready, Angela? I'm ready. All right. So one, what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? 
Boy, you know, I don't want to be cliche and say that that old saying, if you love what you do, you're not working or whatever that saying is. I can't remember, but you know, you never work if you love what you do kind of thing. Yes. You know, that the hardest part, I think, for me and in, in what I do, because ultimately I sell time, right? I sell me and the people that work for me, is giving myself permission to know that I can take time if I need it. But ultimately, it's about a passion. I love what I do. And I've been doing it a long time, even in my earlier days. My focus was planning and research and strategic planning. So when I started this business, I had a choice. I could become another advertising agency or marketing agency. But I chose to pick what I really love to do. And so making sure that I'm true to that, back to my brand. You know, if you come to me and say, I need a website and that's all you want, I'm going to tell you to go to somebody else. And so that keeps me kind of whole, which gives me some peace. And then ultimately, am I adding value to my clients? And that that allows me to take a vacation without taking a vacation, whatever your question was. Nah, I love it. Number two, best lesson you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? Networking. In my life, for whatever reason, I think back, I just never really networked like I networked in the last three years or four years. Yeah. I probably, in the course of a week, probably spent eight hours a week going to meetings, networking, coffees. I love the golf ones. I got to get into that. I'll keep saying it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm very passionate about it now, even though I'm not very good, but it's a lot of fun. That if you want to grow your business, you can't just do it by sending out emails or doing a great job on the internet, right? If people if go to a networking meeting and you talk to 10 people, potentially they walk away are your new, your new brand ambassadors. And so for me, you know, really digging into getting people in different fields to understand what I do. And I have people that actually, you know, I'll call it parrot my pitch actually better than I do it. And because I've got them to understand. So I think the biggest thing for me has been understanding that, you know, it takes a village and by having all that to people that want to help you, want to contribute, want to see you succeed. Not just because they necessarily just like you because the work that you do is confidence. The very first time I was referred from somebody in this group, this was you know during COVID, and I said, look, I really appreciate the referral. This is fantastic. What can I do for you? His response was, don't screw it up. Mm. I've just introduced you because it's my reputation too. So, and I always thought about that and he's absolutely right. It, even the yeah. one I, they refer me in, it's not only about my work, it's about, am I doing the work that reflects on him? So somebody says, yeah, you know what? You gave me that horrible lead or horrible Absolutely. referral, right? So I think networking is something I've learned in the last, again, three or four years that more importantly than I ever have thought before. I hear that one often, networking, for sure, because it's all about relationships, right? That we, it's all about who you know. Isn't that what we always say? So, so yeah. that's uh, so true. So the third one is, what are three tips or tools that you would recommend when scaling a business? Well, first, I think knowing your numbers is, you know, the old adage, right? Money coming in, money going out. It's establishing, you know, what your goals are from a profitability standpoint. I mean, when you sell time, you could say, well, it's all profit. Well, it isn't really all it's profit. Not. It's not. And so understanding, you know, how you get to a number, whether it's a project 
you know, designing a flyer or a website or logos or creating a marketing plan, right? There's somewhere along the way you have to establish, I know what's going to take me. I know how long it takes me to write a plan. I know how long it takes me to do competitive analysis. So I now have a better ability to say, this is what's going to cost you, or I'll wrap it into a kind of a project cost. So knowing the numbers and what it's going to take. And ultimately, I tell clients it's going to take X. And they say, well, what if it, you do it faster? I go, well, that's good for me. Absolutely. And I say, but what if I go over? Is that good for me too? And they go, well, no, you said it was X. I said, great. So that's the price. I'll stick to it. If I go over, my fault. If I go under, good for me. And But I think that's the, probably one of the most important because you can work on a project. At the end of the day, you go, man, I lost my shirt on that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that again. And I've certainly had those projects. So pay attention to your numbers, what it takes, your expenses. And because at the end of the day, you know, you want to put some cash in the bank and the cash in the bank is going to help you perpetuate your business, especially in the downturns, marketing dollars. I mean, I have my own marketing. I actually have people that work for me that I pay them to help me with my marketing, even though I'm the, the marketing yeah, guy. Absolutely. You know, they have my vision. They know my brand. They know my voice. And so they're out doing it. So I can, you know, be doing stuff like this, and, you know, talking to clients. I think the other thing, again, back to networking and making sure that you have a clear voice and, and your elevator pitch, right? That really defines you. Like I talk about this networking. It took me over a year to find a way to be in a room with a bunch of marketers and differentiate myself. Actually, when I started this company, it was actually under a different brand. So mm-hmm. I went through a rebrand, you know, a year and a half ago that actually was predicated on the feedback I used to get from these meetings. So I was listening to my potential referral partners and stuff. And this, this is a true story. And somebody said, after I explained what I did, they went, oh, you're just like, a, you're like an architect. And I went, <laughs> oh my God, it's perfect. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I redefined, you know, that from that positioning standpoint, And so, again, I listen to my own customers and referral partners. So, again, keeping an open mind because we all have to evolve, right? If we're doing the same thing we did 10 years ago, we haven't evolved, right? Technology is forcing us to evolve. The way we get business, COVID, Zoom meetings. So we have to evolve. So I guess, you know, that old evolve or die kind of thing. And the third thing is knowing not every business is good business. Mm-hmm. And be willing, so important. Yeah, be willing to walk away or turn it down, because if it's a bad relationship, I had a prospect tell me one day. They said, "I don't, okay, I know you were referred to me, Angelo, and so let's talk." But I want you to know right off the bat, I don't like marketing. I think it's a waste of time. But convince me why I should hire you. I said, "No, I won't." I don't have to convince you anything. Yeah, I said, if I have to convince you to hire me today, I actually have to convince you tomorrow the next day. And it's not worth my time because you don't believe. And that's actually one of my criteria. If you don't believe in marketing and believe marketing can help, I actually won't work with somebody. It's always going to be a struggle. That's one of my first things that I do. Actually, I have an assessment that I make every client go through to determine you know, where they're at, what their beliefs are, you know, things that they have. So then this way I can make sure that if I work with them, I already have a foundation. I already know what I need to whether I've got you know 10 people in the company and they all think differently, I got a problem. 10 people that all think the same, potentially I still got a problem. 
but at least I have a better understanding of what I'm walking into. Mm -hmm. And because if we're not in alignment today, no matter what I do in the future, we won't be in alignment. And so there'll just be a fight. So I think that, I guess that would be my three. Those are awesome three, especially that last one. You know, the last one is definitely important, especially for service businesses. You know, client, you got to be at a fire or not work with people because your sanity and your dignity are very, very much more priceless than we think, right? And some of us like to care of it. So thank you for those. So this has been a great conversation, Angelo. How can the people connect with you? Probably the easiest two ways would be on LinkedIn. It would be to go to look me up on LinkedIn, Angelo Ponzi. You can see there, it's on my tag. And then uh, you probably link over to my website would be the, you know, two different ways that you could connect with me and learn more about me. I think I'm both of those. I'm always open for a conversation. If somebody has questions, I'm happy to entertain. I mentor a lot. So again, I'm happy to, you know, answer any questions if somebody has somebody in the audience. I have some free ebooks on my ones about competitive analysis. The other one's about storytelling. Give me a beat because I'm about ready to upload a kind of a newer version of them. Just reminded me that I needed to do that. It's not like the do list. <laughs> I, just, I just keep moving it and happy to help. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest to Design Your Life and Business podcast for leaders. And all those links will be in the show notes, everyone. Remember to keep ascending. See y'all soon. Thank you. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.